Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and joining me is LPJ professional Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts. We're broadcasting live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network, bringing you some of the best golfers, teaching professionals, and entrepreneurs helping to elevate women's golf. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning, so grab your coffee and let's get started. All right, good morning, everybody, and thank you again for joining us uh, live this morning here on the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside, of course, is my partner uh, and co-host of the show, LPJ professional and Legends Tour player, Cindy Miller. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are we? Uh, doing fantastic. Another beautiful sunny day here in Florida, and uh, hopefully the same up in Buffalo. I know you've had some rain coming in. What's uh, what's the forecast up there for today? Uh, more of the same. We need a boat. It's so bad. Nothing <laughs> is open. Thank God we have a dome, or I'd be on welfare. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will... I'll pray that uh, some sunshine comes your way. I know it's been, uh, we've had a lot down here too as well. But anyways, we've got a great show for you. We're not going to complain. We've got a great show. Uh, joined here uh, this morning by the chief uh, business officer of the Symmetra Tour, Mike Nichols. Uh, we're going to bring him up here in just a second. But let me just tell you just a, a little bit about him. And then he's going to actually stick around uh, for the second half as well as we're going to have a great discussion on the future of the game. So he's going to join us for that. Uh, Mike Nichols has been the Chief Business Officer of the Symmetra Tour since July of uh, 2012. Uh, prior to that, he served as the VP of uh, Tournament Business Affairs at the LPGA, as well as the Championship Director of the 2005 U.S. Senior Open. So very, very familiar with the game, and uh, we're very excited to have him uh, join us here again on the Women of Golf Show. And uh, let's welcome Cindy. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be here. Thank you uh, for having me, and it's great to be back. Well, we appreciate it. Well, we we appreciate it. Thank you, uh, Mike, uh, and again, thanks for, for sticking around uh, for the second half as well. Um, Cindy, I'm just going to start off real quick here, and then uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, jump in as well. Um, the first question, I, I, I guess, Mike, is obviously we're in a, a new season on the Symmetra Tour. Uh, I think we're in the sixth or seventh event. Um, let's talk about some of the sponsors. You just had the, uh, the first event for the IOA last, uh, this past weekend. And, um, I know they've got, I think another two tournaments coming out through the, uh, the season, but are there any other new sponsors this season? And maybe just touch on some of the, the highlights of, of some of the new sponsors. Yeah, well, we're, uh, we're excited. It's actually, uh, last week was actually the second of the three IOA tournaments, um, which is, we actually start, uh, we play a tournament in California with them and that it's sort of an interesting that's story. Right. They um, they um, started with us uh, with an event over in Orlando, uh, sort of the uh, east side of Orlando, where the the principal John Rittenauer of Iowa also owns a golf course. And we started with one um, tournament there, probably about four or five years ago now. And uh, it was such a good experience. They brought all of his employees and customers to uh, Orlando. And then the folks on the West Coast said, well, when are we going to do one of these on the West Coast? And so then they pop one up on the West Coast. And Atlanta, I guess, is a pretty big hub for them. And then Atlanta said, well, when are we going to do one of these here in our backyard? So they've been a, just a <laughs> tremendous uh, partner for the tour. I mean, that's what you like to see, right? You bring somebody on as a partner and they um, and they all of a sudden, uh, you know, now you have three tournaments with them. So uh, they're a great partner. And uh it's nice to see folks who believe in the property, and it's, it's certainly super helpful as we go out and, and talk to uh, the new sponsors um, on our tour as well. When you say, well, how is it working for folks? Well, talk to these guys. They've gone from one to three tournaments. So they've been a great partner. And then, um, you know, we've got this week we're playing in Charlotte with Symmetra, who is, as everybody knows, the umbrella sponsor of the tour. They've been with us now for eight years, and uh, they've been a tremendous partner and uh, really an essential part of the growth of this tour. Uh, back when I started in 2013, uh, my first full year was 2013, and we played 15 times. We were playing for $1.6 million in prize money, and uh, this year we're playing 24 times for four mil over $4 million in prize money. So We've made a nice wow. little run with Symmetra. They've uh, come aboard. They put in place uh, 
a per-subsidy program, which is money that we uh, can take out to the tournaments and create sort of a matching fund, and that's been a big part of us being able to raise purses from $1.6 million to four over the last um, six years. So uh, that's been a nice run. And then, um, and then another sponsor we're excited next week, a new sponsor we've brought on board as both an LPGA and um, Symmetra partner is a company called Zimmer Biomet. They, uh, they're the official uh, joint and uh, knee and hip replacement company of, the, uh, of both the LPGA and the Symmetra Tours, and they are sponsoring the uh, largest purse in Symmetra Tour history next week. So the ladies will be playing for $300,000. That's first place will be a $45,000 uh, check to the winner. And to put that in perspective, I think the top two players on the Symmetra Tour money list right now, uh, Leona McGuire and Julieta Granada, are just north of $45,000. So next week's event is, although we don't have majors on our tour, is without question the most important event in you know, for this season and, and in tour history, just based on the magnitude of it. So it's nice that what we're seeing with sponsors is they're coming on board. They're coming on board in a in a big way with a, a huge commitment to women's golf. So we're uh, we're very fortunate, and uh, it's a fun time to be a part of the Symmetra Tour. Yeah, wow. that's fantastic. Yeah, and you know, like you said, next week the winner can you know depending on where they are in the Volvic race for the card can actually put them up in first place if they if they've already got some. Uh, you know, some top finishes uh, for the season so far. So it can really change, uh, you know, that, that um, dynamic uh, quite a bit just with that uh, one win alone. So, yeah, it's going to be very, very exciting. Um, thanks for sharing that, that update. Um, Cindy, go ahead. So, Mike, if somebody's listening that's intrigued with possibly, you know, the Symmetra Tour and the LPGA, and they may be looking for a way to market their business or their company, what – what are the key components that you would use to help them figure out whether or not it would be a good investment? Sure. Well, um, you know, the, the one thing that uh, Commissioner Mike Wan talks about uh, the most in, in, as we go out and meet with sponsors is, you know, role reversal. And by that, he means, you know, don't think about what we have to sell and what we need to sell and what we're trying to accomplish. Try to figure out what the sponsor needs and let's come back and create something that works for them. And I can, I can tell you that a lot of times that it's difficult to start a conversation with the sponsor because, you know, they'll, they might call up and say, Hey, we're interested in doing something with you all. Can you send us something? And it's like, well, well, we, we could send you something, but like, what do you want? And they're like, well, just, you know, just send us something on the stuff you have. And it's like, well, w what do you, what are you trying to accomplish or what are you trying to do? And it's kind of a little bit interesting. And sometimes they're taken aback because they're used to a lot of maybe some of the other sports properties sort of sending them a rate card and said, you know, here's the six things you can buy and here's what a sign in center field costs and here's what a suite costs and here's what it is. And these are the six things we have to sell and this is how much it costs and let us know you know, which, which of these you want. And uh, we really try to sort of be holistic. A great example, the, the folks from Zimmer Biomet, who I was uh, mentioning earlier, is a great example, a new partner this year. We got talking to them about doing a tournament. Um, and one of the, the challenges they have is they're, they're in a space that's very regulated and what they can do um, in terms of entertaining. So while they, where they're trying to get prospective surgeons to use their product and want to be up to speed on sort of the latest technology and joint uh, replacement hip and knee and, and those sort of products. They can't entertain folks. And so uh, we had to come up with a very sort of package that sort of skirted some of that, those offerings and provide them exposure. Um, and we partnered with um, Nancy Lopez, who uh, has put her – she's hosting our event next week on the Symmetra Tour – and uh, she actually has a Zimmer Biomet knee. She just had a Zimmer Biomet knee. And I know, Cindy, you being part of the Legends Tour, Nancy hasn't been out there very much because she hasn't been able to walk. I mean, by her own admission, she hasn't been able to stand for more than five minutes. And she just has a Zimmer Biomet knee. So we, with Zimmer Biomet, we went and packaged, put together a package where Nancy's doing an event on the Symmetra Tour, which in our partnership with the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail, we can provide them with a lot of exposure and um, you know, having Nancy as, as a spokesperson for the company as they sort of go into the uh, B to, uh, sort of the B to B, uh, business to consumer space and sort of starting their outreach to say to consumers, so when you go to your doctor to have surgery, he's 
he or she is going to say, um, you know, here's the knee I want to put you in. And they might say, well, how, how about Zimmer Biomed? I've heard they've worked well for Nancy Lopez. So that was a pretty fun program to put together. But where we ended was nowhere near where we started with that. We started talking about just doing a small Symmetra tour event in their backyard, and it evolved into an official partnership that included Nancy Lopez and official marketing partner of the LPGA and dot-com exposure, um, uh, activation at five events with Nancy on the LPGA tour as well as our tournament. So that is a long answer to your simple question, Cindy, but it, it really is us sitting down with the sponsor and saying, what is going to make the most sense for them? And in, in many cases, where you think it's going to end up is, is nowhere near where we, where we finish. So that's very fun because it's, uh, it's fun to sort of get creative and build out those packages. But like I can say, at times it can be a challenge because the, the prospective sponsor has to give you the time and they have to know what they're trying to do in order for us to put them into a program that makes sense, whether it's on the LPGA or Symmetra Tour. Got it. Very Fred? interesting. Yeah, yeah, very interesting indeed. Um, Mike, I wanted to ask you, you know, because we're we're seeing uh, obviously we we most notably we've seen it a lot on the LPJ, but now we're even seeing uh, as well on the Symmetra Tour. But um, a lot of international players. What what is in from your understanding the percentage of U.S. players to international players, and what are some of the factors do you think that has created such an interest with a lot of the international communities? Sure. So from an LPGA standpoint, the, it's undisputed that the LPGA is the premier tour in the world. If you want to prove that you're the best in the world, um, you've got to come to the LPGA and prove it. Now, there are the, both the Japan LPGA and the Korea LPGA are both very strong domestic tours. If you're a Japanese player or a Korean player who just wants to stay at home and play, it's a pretty simple lifestyle. The the countries are very small, and you can kind of, if you're in, you know, Korea, you can live in Seoul and commute essentially back and forth to home for the for the week on the weeks that you play. You know, you go down to the tournament sort of. Tuesday through Sunday, you fly home Sunday night, stay and sleep in your own bed for two nights before you go to the next um, place. So the, the, you can make a nice living there, but you're never sort of going to be acknowledged as one of the world's best until you play on the LPGA Tour. So uh, I think what's happened – so the LPGA Tour has always been that place, and as uh, Mike and the team on the LPGA Tour have done a great job of growing purses there, it's just attracted more and more players from all over the world. So the LPGA, it's – sort of less of a mystery. But with the Symmetra Tour, I admittedly don't know it as a percentage, but I can say just right. sort of looking at it anecdotally, we now have members from, oh, I believe it's 43 different countries that are members of the Symmetra Tour. So we only there will only be 144 players who play every week, but we have, I think it's 350 members now. So there's about 43 countries or so represented. And any given week, there will be about 30 three countries or so represented in the field. And I think it the reason that that's the case is twofold. One, um, the Symmetra Tour is, if you want to play on the LPGA and you think you're one of the best players, it affords you the opportunity to play an entire season of golf, prepare yourself to play on the LPGA. And it does, you know, I sort of liken Q School a little bit to Russian roulette. You know, it's it's there's a the, if you're in maybe let's just say the second stage of Q school it's four rounds you know and if you don't play right. well during those four rounds it's over like your season is over and the, the reason you might play bad those four rounds is any number of things that Cindy can speak to better than than you or I certainly can but you know maybe you right. you know maybe your putter breaks in flight or you know you can't get your putter right or you know your your dog dies or your grandmother dies or whatever happens during that four-day period. So the Symmetra Tour affords you an opportunity where you can play horribly for months, but if you play well for, you know, two-thirds of the season, you can prove that you belong on the LPGA. So I think it's it's a fair testing ground, but in terms of in, attracting the players, I'll go back to what we've done with the with the purses, when you know when you're playing for 1.6 million dollars or you're playing for four million dollars, if you're an international player, you can look at that and say, you know, I'm not going to make a killing over there. But we had three players last year who earned hundred thousand dollars or more, so that they're making money. And I think number ten on the money list last year made about sixty thousand dollars, and that was at purses of 3.1 million. So you know, with purses being up 
whatever it is, 33% total over last year, you're probably looking at a situation where number 10 on the money list this year might make you know $75,000 or something like that. So if you're a player from around the world and is looking to say, I want to get on the LPGA Tour, and you look at how much top players are making, if you really believe you're a top player, coming and playing the Symmetra Tour today makes a lot of sense, and maybe more so than it did just six years ago. So sort of the combination of where the LPGA is headed and the fact that those players want to ultimately play on the LPGA. We, I think last year of our 10 players, we graduated uh, six or seven different countries. So I think we had like six or seven international players and the other three were from the United States. So um, the that's very much different than when I started back uh, and awarded the first cards at the end of the 2012 season. It was, we might've had a couple of international players, but um, now it's uh, it's a much stronger tour. And you know, the ladies' European tour admittedly has struggled a lot in recent years, and it's fairly well documented. So we're also attracting a lot of the top players from Europe as well who might have played the ladies' European tour in the past. Right, exactly. And, and just one other thing, and then, and then Cindy, I'm going to throw it back to you. Um, you know, we've had uh, a number of people on the show mention this uh, over the last several years that um, – especially with a lot of the international countries that many of them have, not all of them, but some of them have a national team program where um, they're very heavily funded um, through whether it be government or, or big business. Um, that's something right now that the, that the U S doesn't have. Do you think that would help um, here in the U S having a national uh, program like that, other than obviously the professional tours, which are a little bit different? Yeah, so I first will qualify my answer by saying this is far from my area of expertise, So, but this is just sort right. of, again, my sort of anecdotal observation, and you look what's happening. So when we have players from Spain, they've all been playing together since they were like 10 years old, and at some point they were right. uh, identified as the as the top players, and, we, we, and we've seen it all. You know, you look back at – when we were all growing up watching China, for example, dominate um, you know, women's gymnastics, the, those young girls were sort of plucked from their homes and put into the, the sort of gymnastic system when they were like three and four years old and just sort of fed into the, the machine, which was a part of the government, which is funded entirely by the government. And so the U.S., I believe, is the only country that doesn't have sort of a um, – uh, like where Olympic, where the Olympic programs are privately funded, and that was one of the big things that the Olympics did for our sport in terms of globalizing the sport. Is in a lot of those countries, all that matters to them is winning Olympic medals. And so, right. while you or I might look at something like sailing and saying sailing, who you know, who cares about sailing? Well, if you could win a gold medal for your country in sailing, the country cares a lot more about sailing than it might care about um, golf. Because maybe, let's just say, in China, they don't care about major championships, and the the population doesn't necessarily comprehend what a major championship is. But they know what a gold medal is, and so by right. golf being in the Olympics, now all of a sudden that created a government funding arm for all of these international countries. And so when th that the folks who were really behind lobbying to get golf in the Olympics knew the impact that it was going to have on a more global scale. So as you know, as the U.S., as we as Americans, as we typically are, sort of have a different sort of lens on how we how we look at things we were sort of skeptical like oh gosh now we got a golf in the olympics why do we need that we already have majors etc whereas essentially every other country in the world cares about the olympics probably as much or more than the majors except for those that are really um golf you know very golf knowledgeable and, and care about golf and and, uh, and sort of uh, one last thing i'll leave you with is as i've talked to people about the Symmetra Tour and, and uh, representatives of some of the various golf associations around the world, what they talk about, which again, I, I don't think twice about as we build out the Symmetra Tour schedule, is they talk about how the Symmetra Tour awards world ranking points, which are very important to them because that's how their players, <laughs> excuse me, from their countries can qualify for the Symmetra Tour. So we had a number of players who were on the Symmetra Tour who played in the uh, in the Olympics, by virtue of the fact that they had world ranking points that they'd gotten from the 
the Symmetra tour. So um, it's and, and what's going to happen too is the way that the formula for the Rolex rankings is way more complex than I could ever relate. But as the players come to play in the tour, what they bring with them is their world ranking points. So if you have players who are better players coming from various tours around the world, they bring with them their world ranking points that create a stronger schedule. So there's countries that are looking at the Symmetra Tour. I was just talking to some folks in Mexico about possibly bringing a Symmetra Tour event to Mexico, and they said what attracts us most about the Symmetra Tour than just doing, let's just, they could easily just pop up a uh, exhibition type event, but they said what's exciting to us about the Symmetra Tour is that our Mexican nationals who are playing on your tour, if we create an event here, they can get the world rankings points to hopefully qualify for the Olympics. So uh, it's a huge, uh, huge component to it is this, new Olympics and the the national team component that you re- referenced, Ted. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, that's um, yeah, that's a great perspective to, uh, to, to explain. Um, Cindy, go ahead. Mike, can you tell us the difference you've seen in the caliber of play since you've been in your position? Yeah, it's um well, I think the probably without it being, you know, anecdotal, you know, Mike, uh, sort of low double digit handicapper, you know, run, walking up and down the range is, is far from the person to be an expert on uh, on who can make it and who's not going to. But what I go back to is when I started with the tour again. So the first class I was a part of graduating was 2012. Um, we were sort of graduating our 10 players to the to the LPGA, and it almost seemed like all 10 of them were coming back. I mean, you could, you know, I within the LPGA leaderboard, you can sort of select your favorites. So my favorites are all Symmetra Tour grads, and, you know, consistently they were all missing cuts. And at the end of the season, it felt like we were getting them all back. And so we as the Symmetra Tour realized we weren't doing something right uh, in terms of maybe setting up the golf courses and making the experience LPGA enough. So we actually sat down with the players and and said, hey, here's the deal. You guys were world beaters last year, and then you got up to the LPGA, and you didn't have a lot of success. What, what are we doing wrong down here? And so they gave us some feedback on course setup and things that we could do during the event week to make them stronger. But um, So we made some changes, but I also looked to the fact that, uh, again, we're attracting more players from around the world, but the reason I sort of started that story where I did is for the last three years, the 10 players that we've graduated to the LPGA Tour, I believe each year nine out of the 10 in the last three years have managed to keep their card for the following year, whether it was through um, going back into the Q school or just maintaining their card by virtue of playing on the tour. So the quality of play to me that if you just look at it completely objectively is we're doing our job if we're graduating 10 players and the majority of them are staying. We've already have a couple of winners from graduates this year, uh, Celine Boudier from France who played at Duke. Uh, she won down in Australia this year and Nellie Corda who also won, uh, she's won this year. She was a graduate a couple years ago and she, uh, I think she's won three times in the last six months or something crazy like that. So and Yu Lu, who was a graduate a couple years ago, also played at Duke from China. She was in the she was in a playoff out at the LPGA Founders Cup. So it, it's nice to turn on a broadcast and hear, you know, Tom Abbott and Judy Rankin talking about, oh, here here's this player. You know, she was on the she graduated from the Symmetra Tour last year or the year before. So, um, you know, if you look at it completely objectively the success our graduates are playing says to me, okay, the quality of golf on this tour is higher. And in looking at our six events that we've played so far this year, we have no repeat winners. And as I, as I was sharing with Ted before, before we uh, started the show, um, by this time in the past, especially in the early years, we would have players who would win two and, you know, two times by this point and already finished in the top five, three other times. And uh, so there's a lot more, parity and it takes a lot more to to win on the Symmetra Tour, which is what we want. We want it to be hard to win out here because it's going to be hard to it's going to be harder to win on the LPGA and just making cuts on the LPGA is going to be a challenge. But um, by rate, forcing players to raise their game out here, they're having a lot more success on the LPGA Tour when they ultimately get there. Which is the mission and the purpose. So good job. 
Thank you. I'd, yeah, well I'd love to tell you I can take credit for it, but I, I don't set up the golf courses or do any of the stuff that makes that matters. So, uh, so, but it it was interesting because when like I'll just share some of the things, and it, it happened about five years ago that conversation, but I remember it fairly distinctly. So we're sitting down with a couple of players, and they said, "Look, the the way you guys are setting up the golf courses out here, you know, they're too short. You know, I come out here and I hit." driver wedge all of the way around and so I'm never you know I'm always trying to make birdies because I've always got a wedge in my hand when I get out there the course is longer so instead of hitting a wedge to a pin that's in the middle of the green out on the LPGA I'm hitting a four hybrid to a, a tucked pin where if I'm not if my course management isn't good I'm going at that pin and now I've short-sided myself and I make bogey and I do that three holes in a row and s suddenly I've made three bogeys in a row and I haven't made three bogeys in a round an entire year on the Symmetra Tour, and so that starts playing with your head, as we all know, as as golfers. So, and I think a little bit of that it was so. It, the, the reason the golf courses were probably a little bit easier is uh, we were setting them easier is twofold. Is maybe back then, admittedly, the as I mentioned, the quality of play or the depth of the field probably fairly uh, wasn't as strong. So while you'd love to set up the golf courses for players one through ten to make it hard for them you've got to get 144 players around that golf course before dark. So, you know, if you make the golf course too hard, you're, you're never going to be finishing. So um, as we've taken that feedback from the players and, and tried to make the golf courses more difficult, we've been fortunate in that the quality of play has grown. So player 144 on the tour um, this year is markedly better than player 144 was on the tour a couple of years ago. So there's a lot of factors go that go into that, but uh, you know, I appreciate that our rules officials and the folks that set up the the golf courses have taken that feedback. And additionally, um, the the gentleman Marty Robinson, who's been a rules official for I believe over 20 years on the LPGA Tour, he has now come down to the Symmetra Tour and he's managing course setup and all of the rules officials. So in our efforts to bring the expertise of the LPGA Tour and course setup back to the Symmetra Tour, we're actually doing that by um, bringing a rules official down who's been out in the LPGA for a number of years and frankly was similar to the conversation um, that Mike had with me when uh, he asked me to leave the LPGA Tour side of the business and tournaments and come down and oversee the Symmetra Tours. How, how can we build a schedule that's more LPGA-like? So there's a lot of things that happen behind the scene that, that, that we do to try to strengthen the Symmetra Tour that people wouldn't really know or even know is happening. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, well, we're moving into the uh, the second phase of our program, and uh, joined by, of course, Mike Nichols, the uh, chief business officer of the Smetra Tour, and he's very graciously uh, agreed to stick around for the second half as we uh, have a discussion on the future of the game. But before we do that, uh, Cindy, if you want to set up the clip, and uh, and then we'll play it. Well, so many, uh, most people that are listening to the broadcast would understand that the game of golf has long been used as a business tool, and needless to say, that's where sponsorship dollars um, flow into the LPGA, the PGA, the Symmetra Tour, and people love to get together to build relationships to incentivize employees or customers. And I've been fortunate enough to have a little clip here to tell you that I would love to help you learn to play the game of golf and use it as a business tool. Perfect. Well, let's take a listen to our very own Cindy Miller. Everyone knows business deals are made on the golf course. Knowing how to act is just as important as how you hit it. As an LPGA professional and corporate trainer, I offer workshops, seminars, and executive retreats to teach you how to do both. From the back nine to the boardroom, improve your team from the inside out, or Golf 101 for executives might be the perfect fit for your team. Maybe it's time to make some deals on the course. For more information, go to CindyMillerInc.com. All right, well done. And uh, after the show, make sure you visit CindyMillerInc.com. You can reach out to Cindy there directly uh, and set that up. All right, as I mentioned, uh, for those of you just uh, tuning in a little bit later in the broadcast, we're joined by our very special guest uh, this morning, Mike Nichols, the uh, Chief Business Officer of the Symmetra Tour, and uh, had a great discussion to start things off. And we're going to continue the discussion, uh, discussion excuse me, uh, with Mike, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the future of the game and 
of course, this is just uh, more of an opinion piece. It doesn't necessarily mean it's carved in stone, but um, uh, it's just some general thoughts and input from, from everybody here uh, this morning on, on where we see some of the trends and where things are happening. And, and Cindy, you and I are going to start first because this is really going to pertain more to you and I, I think. Um, but where do you see, Cindy, the evolution of golf instruction if we look down maybe in five years, even 10 years and beyond from here? Where do you see um, sort of the evolution of golf instruction going? I'm not sure I understand what you're, what you're asking. Can you reframe well, it? Well, sure. Where do you see or what changes, if any, do you see golf instruction taking, um, obviously with the uh, onslaught of, of various uh, technology and things like that? Do you see a change in how we approach uh, our teaching format, or do you think it's going to be sort of status quo? Well, I think that uh, – how do I want to answer this? I think there's an awful lot of right brain and left brain players, and I believe that a lot of the technology can confuse and impede the progress of a right brain player. On the other hand, if you're an engineer or an accountant um, or an actuary, I think that taking a lesson on a computer might be good for you because you would love to see all the numbers. But I think, in fact, I know for a fact that you can't play golf left brain. So I believe that sometimes there's a need for the technology and sometimes it's too much. I also believe that, you know, we're talking about Symmetra and LPGA Tour players. When you fine-tune your game, tiny little things can make a big, huge difference. So I think there's a need for TrackMan and flight scopes there. Um, but I think for the average person learning to play golf, if they could get it airborne, hit it kind of clean and somewhat straight, they would play golf and have a lot more fun, and they wouldn't be worried about all the details. That's my opinion. Now, where is it going? I think it's probably going to continue to go trying to be more left brain, but I think you always have to have a mixture. Right. Well said. I think one of the other things, too, um, I'll just add very quickly, um, you know, there there has been a lot of technology that has been injected into golf. Uh, again, most of it has been good. Some of it um, maybe not so good, again, depending on the individual player. I think that what we're starting to see in golf instruction is, uh, I don't want to say a rewind, but I think golf instructors as a whole are starting to recognize the individuality of their players. For instance, I'll give you an example. For for quite some time, there was sort of a trend, uh, and, and certainly not by everybody, but um, a, a trend with, with many where everybody was sort of being put in the same box. In other words, we taught the same swing to everybody, and I think we're starting to recognize that everybody is uniquely different. Swings are different. Yes, there's certain uh, general fundamentals that have to remain, uh, again, status quo, um, things like impact position and that sort of thing, but how you get to those positions uh, vary differently from player to player. And I think instructors are starting to recognize and get more in touch with that and teaching a little bit more individually in that uh, perspective. Again, I agree with you, Cindy. I think that um, much of the things like TrackMan and some of the other uh, components that are out there uh, from a technological side, technology side, excuse me, um, certainly do play a role, but I think if we overwhelm uh, students with that. And where I see things happening, obviously, uh, in, a, in the future of the game, we're seeing a lot of video uh, components being introduced over the years, uh, and uh, that is a, getting advanced and more, um, again, the technology is, is ramping up a little bit. And I see more and more people, uh, again, you know, Googling various golf instructors and things like that and looking at some of the, the visual components. Um, where I would like to see, and I think you would probably agree, Cindy, is I want to see more uh, playing out on the golf course and less time on the range. I think we've seen too much of that where the player gets very, very proficient out on the, uh, the practice tee, but then has a difficult time transitioning to, to the uh, golf course. So I'm hoping that we're going to see a trend where that is going to happen. Um, and we're seeing more players getting sooner out on the golf course working and developing their playing ability as opposed to just uh, raking and hitting balls on a driving range uh, all the time. So 
you know, it, it, it's it, there's a lot of variables. In fact, I think there is going to be definitely a lot of change, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens a decade or so down the road. Um, Mike, I know you're not uh, in the teaching side of things, but um, from what you've seen and maybe some of the players that you've talked to in that, um, do you see anything um, different maybe from what it was, say, 20, 30 years ago, and do you see it moving in a direction um, much like Cindy and I just mentioned? Yeah, so just what I, you know, from what I've observed, and again, as thank you for qualifying that this is far from my expertise, but just the amount of, um, you know, technical data that's available. I mean, you know, it's just great. You know, I remember when, you know, back when I uh, sort of started to learn golf, it was all about, you know, oh, you know, want to hit your driver with a lot of spin. And then all of a sudden we woke up one day and you didn't want to have any spin on your driver, right? You know, like it's all about launch and putting it up there with no spin. And so, like, just the way the technology has changed, obviously from an equipment standpoint, I'm, you know, I'm sure the way Cindy is teaching people to hit the ball today with the, you know, an, I mean, think about it, an eight degree driver or six degree driver or whatever it is today that people are using. Yeah. I mean, what was it back when we were all growing up, 13 or something, because you had to put backspin on it to get it up in the air. And now you're trying to, you know, tee it high and launch it straight up in the air with no spin so that it just stays in the air forever. And so, um, there's a lot of technical stuff, and you know, just speaking from my own personal experience, I happen to be, you know, uh, to my detriment, overly technical and not enough of a a feel player. But I remember, you know, this was before there were phones and all this stuff. I mean, everybody can see their like see their swing now. You know, just have your kid stand behind you and you can see your golf swing. I remember the first time I saw my golf swing, I was horrified. I was like, oh my gosh, I thought I swung like Jack Nicklaus. I'm terrible. But you know, so people can get that initial feedback, but. <laughs> I remember the first time um, I, I really sort of started taking lessons, and my pro, to his credit, was all about teaching me, and a little bit to what you were referencing, Ted, about fit, learning how to fix my swing based on what the, the ball flight was. And he talked to me about the different ball flights, and if your ball flight is doing this, your swing pass is this, or your club face is this. So even to this day... I might not be able to fix my swing exactly as I'm playing, but I can think back to those lessons when he taught me about the, you know, club face and path and how those those sort of nine shot patterns and how, how you can fix them. But I, I also remember that as he was talking me through that and he would say, do this, and I would say, you know, and I would do a golf swing and I said, how did I do? And he said, well, you didn't even do it. And I said, well, of course I didn't. When he, he'd bring me over here, look at yourself on the screen. I'm like, oh, I didn't do it. You know, so it's, uh, you know, what you feel um, versus what you see a lot of the times having that sort of immediate feedback is, is helpful, especially for somebody who's technical like me. Because as, as you said, as soon as you can see yourself doing it, it's like, oh, okay, now, okay, I see what I'm doing or not doing and have that sort sort of immediate feedback and then you can hopefully incorporate a new feel while seeing yourself on on screen thinking a lot of times that when your pro is trying to put you in a certain position you feel like you know you're you've just taken your left arm and put it in your right shoulder and vice versa and you think there's no way that looks good and then you see yourself on video you're like oh okay well I'm not embarrassed to go out there with that swing it actually looks better and so you know you you can groove it but I, I think that uh, I, you know so all of that having been said that's just sort of my personal experience but I think I, I do see a lot of players getting wrapped up in a lot of technical stuff. And as you said, Ted, you know, it's all about getting the ball in the hole in the fewest shots, whatever it takes to do that. And, you know, God right. bless um, Jim Furyk's dad for not letting his college coach fix his golf swing. Right. I mean, so that's all that matters is getting the ball into the hole as quickly as possible. Yeah. Mike, well let said. me ask you a question. Um, what do you hear or what type of feedback do you get from the pro-am participants at a symmetric tour? So many people I teach need to use the game of golf as a business tool, and they're so apprehensive to accept that invitation. And yet once you make them understand that it's not really how good you hit it, it's, you know, don't take too long to play, make sure you know where to walk, and then you can take half swings and bun it down the fairway and be a great pro-am partner. Do you yes. find people are petrified or they're glad they participated? What's the feedback? 
No, I think in most cases, you know, I will say occasionally you'll have the person who accepts the invitation. We had one a couple weeks ago who accepted an invitation and had never touched a golf club before. So we've had that extreme where you're hoping, you're wishing the person hadn't accepted the invitation and maybe had been a part of a Cindy Miller clinic or something like that as opposed to committing to a five-hour pro-am on the hardest golf course we play all year. But um, but it's it's definitely – you know, we try to encourage folks. What we do both on the LPGA and Symmetra Tour is we play a scramble. And there's sort of two reasons for that. In part, um, you know, it's much more inclusive. We've all, you know, played in the charity golf outing and it's a scramble and everybody knows, oh, I can contribute in a scramble. I'm a decent putter. Or if you're a woman who might right. not be all that great, right. but you know, you can hit it 125 yards down the middle on certain holes. That's great. You know, that's going to be 60 yards past whatever drive the guys are hitting from the back. So, we play the scramble format to be inclusive, but it also maximizes the amount of time you play um, with the pros. I, I had the good, I mean, the, you're actually interacting with the pros. You know, I had the opportunity to play a couple weeks ago in a web.com tour pro-am where the pro plays his own balls and the amateurs scramble off of their own ball. And um, we barely interacted with the pro and the, the pros that we played with were fantastic. I can't say a bad thing about them. Super nice guys, great time, but you know, they were teeing up on a tee 100 yards behind us. We would all tee off, and then we'd go play our ball, and, you know, you'd maybe meet up on the green, but we weren't even scrambling off of his ball on putts with the exception of par three. So uh, that's why we play the scramble is to maximize the interaction with uh, with the pros. But I think for the most part, once you've been in a community for the, – the first year, there's definitely a learning curve, Cindy, with – you know, people being like, oh, I don't know who, you know, I, I don't play a lot of golf. I only play three or four times a year. I'm like, I only play three, four times a year, and it's in, and it's in pro-am scramble. So you're, you're fine. But uh, by the time you get to that second year, there's a realization that you don't have to be a professional golfer. I actually had a – it's funny you mentioned this, asked this question. I just had a conversation with my wife this morning where um, we're going to be uh, staying at her parents' house very in close proximity one of our Symmetra Tour events, and I'm going to be bringing out one of our – uh, biggest clients to uh, to play golf in the pro-am and they were kind of having trouble pulling together two, um, two other folks from the business to be a part of it and I said well why don't we invite our spouses and just have it be a fun day so and she was like that's a great idea let's do that so I went and talked to my wife and I said hey literally this morning I said hey what do you think about playing in a pro-am up in South Bend and she's like I'm not good enough to play in a pro-am and so I, I was like no you're missing the whole it's a scramble it's fine you're good. so I, li- I literally had that conversation this morning with my wife but it was it took about 15 minutes but I finally brought her around I said look you need to do it for my job so I got her where I needed to be <laughs> Perfect. 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 Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I, I want to move on to uh, another topic as well, um, and, and that is junior golfers, and not necessarily those that are, are playing competitively. But um, you know, we we want to introduce the game. I think, guys, to um, people as young as as humanly possible uh, to sort of ignite that spark. I mean, uh, those of us that were fortunate that that learned to play the game at a very very young age you know, whether it be through our parents or, or a mentor of some sort. And, uh, but there's a lot of folks out there that don't get exposed uh, to the game necessarily uh, in their childhood. Maybe their parents don't play. One of the criticisms, though, is golf is much more expensive than, say, soccer or baseball and uh, even playing tennis to get into. Um, and I know that the various um, – parties that be, if you will, have made some great strides in, in trying to reduce the cost, but I think we need to go a little further yet. Um, Mike, I'm going to start with you if, you, if that's okay, and then, then Cindy, we can jump in. Um, what do you think needs to happen here as, as a whole within the industry to be able to make it a little bit more accessible? Because there's still a lot of folks out there that shy away from golf because it's just too expensive for them. What can we do um, to make a change so that everybody can have a, a, an opportunity to get out and play some golf. Right. So I, I think, uh, as you alluded to at the beginning of your question, Ted, is um, getting kids exposed to the game as, an er- as early as possible is, hu- is huge. And, you know, the children are our future, you know, sort of that cliche. But um, in golf, they, they are. There's no question about it. And, uh, and Cindy can probably speak to this, but a lot of 
what keeps sort of maybe adults from getting out on the golf course, and I'm sure she's seen it in a lot of her clinics that she's done around the country is, you know, folks are intimidated about taking that first step. You know, we, you know, I don't play golf and, you know, I don't want to be out on the golf course and doing this and they don't really know where to go for instruction. So I think it's just a lot about tearing down the, you know, the perception of the exclusivity of golf and that we're, we're trying to be more inclusive and get rid of sort of the, the country club stigma of golf. And, uh, you know, I'll just, you take a second to sort of brag on the, the LPGA uh, Girls Golf Program that uh, we do in conjunction mm-hmm. with the United States Golf Association, and uh, the program has grown uh, significantly. And just using my daughter as a, as an example, so she's 11, and she's come up through the program, uh, the program here in uh, Daytona Beach. They meet once a month. It's ten dollars um, per participant. We also have scholarships for folks who can, you know, afford it and um, for whom the $10 is a stretch. And so there's clubs and all of that kind of stuff there. But what it does is we've got young girls who are five and six, and I think it starts at age six, who are getting a golf club in their hand, and they're going to a golf course, and they're learning to putt, and they're learning to chip. And there's sort of coloring and learning about the LPGA. So it's not a hugely technical experience, but it's just getting a glove in, a club in their hand and removing the stigma associated with being at a golf course. And, and the, the real uh, sort of genius of the girls' golf program is that it's exclusively for girls. So typically if I were to sign my daughter up to go to a golf camp here at LPGA International and I were to drop her off at the beginning of the week, she might be the only girl and there might be a range of 12 other boys and she doesn't have anybody to connect with and she doesn't want to go back on Tuesday for, to the camp. So the genius of girls golf is getting the girls comfortable in sort of their own little environment in a golf course setting, and then you're hoping to make them golfers for life. I, I always say, you know, I'm not, I don't need my daughter to be a professional golfer, but I'd love her to be one that feels confident enough that when it comes to a business setting, when she's in her, you know, early 20s, that she feels she's accomplished enough to, to accept uh, an invitation to go play in that chamber outing, and that's where the networking and business growth and all of that sort of career elevation comes. So, um, you know, I think the earlier we can get uh, people into the game, the better, just because it removes all of the stigma that and sort of intimidation that comes with trying to pick up the game later in life. And like I said, I'm sure Cindy has a lot to add in terms of the folks that she's seen trying to pick it up later in life. Right. And, and Cindy, the other thing too is just, I want to add very quickly and then, and I want you to, to uh, inject your thoughts is it's not just the cost that has uh, an issue for some folks. It's, the time, uh, you know, golf can take up a lot of time depending on, on what level you want to uh, commit to. And that's something else with today's busy schedules that everybody has. Uh, it, you know, playing a round of golf as an example just takes too much time. So how do we combat some of these things, costs and time? How do we to make it a little bit more accessible for everybody and not overwhelm, uh, again, with the, with the cost in, involved and also uh, taking up too much of their day? I believe that it is so much better now, Ted. There are scholarships. Anybody that wants to learn to play golf as a junior has the opportunity, and it doesn't cost that much money. Uh, I can tell you that hockey, you know, we've got an awful lot of kids that we teach. And i and I got to give a side note here because I've been um, the director of the LPGA Girls Golf Club Buffalo for uh, for a long, long time. 25 years probably, 20 years, as long as it's been around. And yesterday, a senior that I teach in high school walked in, and she was on the phone. She was coming for a lesson. She goes, you're not going to believe what I just got. I go, what would you get? She goes, I just got an email from the LPGA that I have won the Marilyn Smith Scholarship. I said, what? Oh, wow. I said, see, now aren't you glad you hang out with me and you're a member of that LPGA Girls Golf Club that you thought you were too old to be a member of? She goes, oh, my God, I'm getting $5,000. Now Alan looked at her and goes, hey, can we go shopping now? But, but the point is, is that there's so many things out there if you look. And I said, when did you apply for it? She goes, I don't even remember. She goes, but I looked at all the stuff after I registered for your program, and I thought, well, why don't I just write an essay? I said, what'd you write about? She goes, I don't even remember. And I said, well, you must've done a great job. So you have to look you have to seek, you know, it's not going to, I was given some of the kids yesterday a hard time. I go, do you want to be fed or do you want to hunt for food? You know, 
How many days a week are you playing hockey? Three. How many days a week are you practicing golf? One. I said, okay, what are you going to be better at? So, you know, yes, Ted, I think we need to be nice. We need to be open. I'm doing a PGA Junior League. I've got a lot of kids that don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to hit the ball. You know, so it's a little painful when you're out there with them for the match last Saturday and the rain and the cold. But they had a blast. They're like, Mrs. Yeah. Miller, Mrs. Miller, oh, my gosh, this is so much. you got to make it fun. And so I, you know, were their parents out there with them? Yes. Did it take two hours and 15 minutes to play six holes? Yes. Did we quit after the time frame? Yes. Did they pick up after they had a double bogey? Yes. So that's what you do. You just say, this is the time. However many holes you play, you're done. You know, but you know, nobody gets to be good at anything without putting in time and effort. So I would say there's right. all kinds of ways that you can learn to play, and it doesn't cost that much money. You've got LPGA Girls Golf Club. You've got the first tee. I do LPGA Golf 101. You know, we have created an awful lot of programs that people can learn to play golf, and it doesn't cost that much money. They just have to look for it. Yeah, and, and I, I would agree with that. I think there are a lot of uh, great programs out there, and uh, you know, I agree. Getting them, uh, introducing them at an early age is is key. And one thing that you mentioned, Cindy, that I think uh, really sort of hits it on the head is the fact that the parents are involved uh, as well. Um, a lot of, especially uh, a lot of our, our younger folks that are, um, you know, couples that are coming up that have young children. Um, they want to be involved in their child's life. And there are ways that they can do that through golf that are very, very inexpensive through some of the programs that you've mentioned. Um, and it's a great start um, to, to sort of get the family instead of, you know, traditionally where, you know, maybe dad played or, or mom and dad played and, and they introduced little Johnny or, or Sally to, to the game. Now we can introduce the whole family. So I think there's an opportunity for the industry. And there are certainly a lot of great we've interviewed uh, Cindy you and I have talked to uh, folks like Kate Tempesta up in New York uh, and of course Nicole Weller out in uh, the Carolinas who do some great work with with young golfers and there's many many across the country but um, I think it's introducing them and I think again as you suggested putting sort of a, um, a, a time frame uh, and letting them in advance that okay this is the time that we're going to spend and here's what we're going to do with this time and I think including uh, as a family unit as well uh, because not everybody, you know, not only these kids are going to play necessarily competitively or even want to. They just want to go out and do something that's fun, uh, and, and I think that's the key. Um, I want to very quickly, we've only got a few minutes left here, but on the flip side of things, um, and I'm going to exclude um, a category. There's obviously some that have left um, maybe due to health issues or, or injuries or just, you know, just can't play anymore for whatever reason. But how do we approach some of those golfers? What do we need to do? that have left the game for one reason or another and get them sort of reignited and interested in coming back into the game. Some have left just because um, out of frustration, they're just not able to, um, to play well. Um, you know, again, maybe they got caught up in a lot of this technology and it just didn't work for them. So what can we do there um, to sort of get some of those folks back into the game? Um, Mike, your thoughts, and then Cindy, now wrap up. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 a little bit myself, you know, I just look at myself. I've got kids who are 13 and 11, and, you know, I'm getting pulled in the direction of soccer games on the weekends, and then my golf game suffers, and then my wife, um, my wife's always encouraging me to say, oh, you should go play golf on the weekend, and I try to say to her, like, honey, the last thing I want to do is go play really bad golf for five hours. Like, I appreciate you wanting me to do that, but I really would, would rather not, you know, so – um, I think a lot of it's just, um, you know, finding excuses to get people out there. Like I said, I play most of my golf in pro-ams and I play, I play poorly, but I think it's just more about the camaraderie. And I think it's, you know, the one, the one thing I find is that we, if, we, if we as a golf community are going to be inclusive, we need to start inviting people who aren't necessarily golfers. So if I only play golf once a month, I'm probably going to want to go play with my same three guys who are in my typical foursome, and that's we play every Saturday morning right. at 8 or whatever. But we're not growing the game. But what about my buddy here in the legal department who – you know, it's just waiting for somebody to ask him to play. And, you know, I might be yeah. only playing once a month and thinking to myself, ugh, the last thing I want to do is drag a beginner around the golf course. But 
How for how long did our parents do? But how long did our parents do that for us? Right? That's how we're we're fans of the game. Right. So I think we just need to be more welcoming and think to ourselves, okay, how can I step outside my comfort zone and reach out to somebody? who wants to get into golf and just wants to be invited, even if we just go to the range for an hour after work and, and you do that. So I think that's really a great way to get people into the golf is just us getting out of our rut of doing whatever we always do, which I'll be the first person to admit, you know, that, like I said, I'd rather go play with people who are good than bringing a beginner out to the golf course because we've all been in that group. But that's the only way we're going to grow this game is sort of getting out of our comfort zone and have been inviting people because they're I think a lot of them are just waiting you know waiting for somebody to yeah. ask them and if you invest them then then that's how we grow the game yeah well said and Cindy what about you what do you think uh, needs to happen any changes that you can see or um, you know alterations if you will on, on how we approach the game I think Mike Mike hit the nail on the head I think uh, like for beginners I I take women out or men or whoever's you know Let's go learn to play on the course. I think if we play um, nine holes and move the tees, let's hit, let's start from the 200-yard marker, you know, just to make it a little bit easier for those who are um, fearful of playing it too far up. You know, I see an awful lot of guys now who, you know, would never have moved up to the gold tee. It, it, I got right. news for you. It's too long. Why Why would you sit there and suffer? I think U.S. Kids Golf has done a great thing with making the kids' tees so far up that they can the kids can shoot even par when they're six. Well, what a great yep. idea. You know, I don't want to be Lash LaRue. I mean, even playing in the LPGA Senior Championship at um, French Lick, I mean, the difference between Laura Davies and me is 60, 70 yards. You know, I don't have a player, right. but I got to get better at my short game. But And I'm grateful to have the opportunity to play. But I think we have to invite people, and I think we need to maybe move the tees up even more. Yeah, well said. You know, and something else I just want to touch on real quick, and, and then we'll wrap up, um, that, that Mike talked about, and that is just, you know, inviting people, that there's a lot of folks out there that, that would love to come out and play, but they're just not in the conversation. And a great example of that is I interviewed um, on one of my Thursday night programs, Golf Talk Live, a young lady who uh, is from the uh, Birmingham, Alabama area, and she has started an organization where she um, uh, certainly it's welcome to everybody, but predominantly focuses on women. And she has been in corporate America for you know 20 plus years, and she was one of those people that every day the guys would come in and they'd be talking golf, they played on the weekend or they played in you know some other event. And she felt left out of the conversation. And finally, she spoke up and sort of injected herself, um, read up a little bit about golf and, and had some of the vernacular, if you will. And the response was the guys just never thought she would be interested. And, you know, and it goes to what you said, Mike. I mean, that gentleman would probably love to go, but, you know, maybe he, uh, you know, you know, he doesn't play. And it's just not in the, in the forefront of your mind uh, to ask somebody like that unless they've you know, been in part of the discussion before. So I think we have to, as you suggested, I think we have to step out of the box a little bit and we have to start inviting people that maybe, um, you know, normally are not in that conversation and get them exposed to the game. And the worst case scenario is they say, no, I'm not interested. But there may be, you know, out of 10 people, four or five of them that may be interested. And I think that's a great way to grow the game. Uh, and I think that's where the future of the game needs to, to sort of direct. We can't just keep pulling through the same pool of golfers um, because, as, you know, as we know, they're all slowly uh, passing on as we age. And uh, we have to start finding um, some new uh, avenues to, uh, to recruit from. So uh, food for thought and uh, great discussion. Thank you, uh, uh, Mike, as uh, always, for joining us here on the show and particularly for sticking around and sharing in some of the conversation. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, I encourage uh, the sort of the self-serving plug at the end uh, for the, anybody who's listening to this and trying to figure out how do I get, you know, people into the game, you know, uh, definitely look up Cindy Miller's uh, website because she is one of the best, if not the best, of uh, getting folks involved in, in giving instructions. So uh, a tremendous resource right here hosting this show. So um, definitely reach out to Cindy, uh, check out her website and have her be a part of a program at, at your corporation.
We well, appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. <laughs> great plug. <laughs> thank you very much, Mike, and you have a great day. And again, uh, we uh, look forward to having you come back again in the future. Sounds good. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, that was our very special guest, uh, Mike Nichols, the uh, Chief Business Officer of the Symmetra Tour, uh, getting ready to start his day. And uh, we hope that you enjoyed listening to the program today. As always, uh, we appreciate your uh, uh, listenership, if you will. And don't forget to go to CindyMillerInc.com, and all of her contact information is there. Uh, A great opportunity, as Mike suggested, and I concur 100%. Go to CindyMillerInc.com and get in touch with her today. Thank you, as always, Cindy, and we look forward to everybody coming back uh, and joining us next week on The Women of Golf. Thanks, Ted. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening this morning to The Women of Golf Show. Tune in live each week by visiting blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and, of course, Spotify. If you can't join us live, check out our on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. To get updates for future shows and upcoming guests, you can follow us on Facebook at Women of Golf. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO and Cindy at Cindy Miller Golf. Please remember to join us next week on the Women of Golf Show. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.